Well, folks, if you like open books, welcome to Dan's Dabble and Babble, where this week we talk to an open book. Uh, really, probably our, it's its hard to say, I was going to say our guest with the most out there profession, but we've had a professional wrestler and a Bitcoin expert, so I'm not even sure what that means anymore. What would you, where would you... She's a nice floral scent to the potpourri that is the guest list of the show. Yeah, certainly, certainly a new lane. We'll definitely give her certainly uh, a, a lady of many talents. Uh, certainly got a lot going on. Uh, and I believe uh, you're referring to the fact that we spoke with a lawyer by day and comedian by night. And sometimes amateur baking show host on her YouTube channel. So a lot of irons in the fire with our guest this week, Amanda G. So if you're loving us, as always, please give us a follow on our Twitter at BabblingDan. That's B-A-B-B-L-I-N-G-D-A-N. And if you would like to support the show, either by leaving us a message or throwing some money our way, you can do so at anchor.fm slash dance hyphen dabble hyphen in hyphen babble. <laughs> yes. Cram some quarters into your uh, USB slot for us. No, but really, if you want to leave a message, it would mean a lot to us. And we, we thank well, you for listening. We guarantee we'll play it on the show. Guarantee it. Uh, may take the place of this little producer chat, but I, I, as near and dear as they are to my heart, Dennis, but thank you for securing such a wonderful yes with us again. So without further ado, here's my babble with Amanda G. Babblers, thank you for joining us here on another exciting week. Our guest this week is Amanda G. Amanda G is a stand-up comedian based out of New Orleans. She's been featured around New Orleans, including the House of Blues, Hell and Wolf, Tipitina's, and Dragon's Den. She's open for Michael Che and Ray Butcher. She's been part of Beast Village, Lady Laughs, Mutiny Radio of San Francisco, Midwest Queer Comedy, Cola Con, and Memphis Comedy Festivals. She won the Producers Award in the Mental Health Channel's second annual Cracking Up Comedy Competition. She hosts and produces a podcast called Near and Queer to My Heart. You might recognize her as a regular host of New Orleans Greetings from Queer Mountain or on those rare nights that she isn't on some stage making audiences laugh as that girl at the end of the bar. Amanda, big welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Today's a, a good day. I'm feeling great today. Good. I'm glad we've got the positive vibes going. Glad we've got you on a day with positive vibes. I just, I, something about Amanda G and positive vibes. I, I feel like we got the, the, I guess, long end of the stick. I, I would hate to have Amanda G on a, on a bad vibe day. Um, <laughs> So Amanda did share with me just before we started that she's an open book. So I'm excited to read all of her pages. So Amanda, New Orleans comic. My first question is what compels a person to say, you know, I'm funny enough that I should get on stage and 
be required to make people laugh? How's, how did you get into comedy? <laughs> kind of what's that, what's that process look like for you? Well, if you want to do something wild and have an adrenaline rush and you don't want to skydive, I'd suggest getting on a stage and putting a mic in your face. I, um, I grew up always thinking I was going to be a comedy writer. And then right before I, I turned 30, I just was like, I should try stand up. And I started going to open mics. And when you go to open mics, you're kind of like, okay, so anybody can do this. So I, I'm anybody, I could do this. And then when, you know, you first get up and you get on stage and you tell that first joke that gets a genuine laugh from an audience, it's, it's just, it's addictive. It's like no high I've ever had. Something that you thought in your head that you wrote on a piece of paper that you said out loud that somebody that you don't know relates to and thinks is funny. It's, it's just, it's pretty magical. You know, I, I am almost 30 myself. I'm, I'm 28. So, uh, it's funny to hear you say that that you think you know anybody can get that because I like to think that I'm not the least funny person in the world but there's something so different about you know being with a group of friends and making a group of friends laugh to being able to craft a set so so you were obviously interested in comedy writing you said you wanted to be a comedy writer so when you were really fresh into the scene grinding at open mics where did you find inspiration from and did you ever have any moments where um, kind of early on and getting to those open mics you had kind of the opposite moment of you told something that you're like this is going to be a hit and it just falls flat because that that seems to terrify me because I'm not afraid to cry in front of in front of people. So so I guess let's start there. Have you ever cried in front of an audience, Amanda G? <laughs> I I have not cried in front of an audience. I've definitely felt that way inside. Um, you know, when you first start, I'd say in your first six months to a year, you start you take everything personally. Um, you know, if they don't laugh at the joke, if, if they don't get the joke, if people aren't paying attention, if you look at the audience and there's people on their phones or they're talking to their friends, you take that as like you're doing something wrong. And then you start to internalize that. But the more you do it, you're just like, hey, I've been an audience member and I've checked my phone and I've, you know, kind of tuned in and out. And it's also you're at a random bar doing comedy. So you can't expect that you have to earn that from the audience. And once you kind of see it that way, instead of like, hey, I'm doing something wrong or or some people, I've never really done this, but some comics just blame the audience. Like this joke didn't work because you don't know what's funny. I've heard that so many times. And it's like, if, if it's not funny to them and they're your audience, then you need to find a way to make it funny to them. Um, but yeah, it is scary. And there's, there's been times when I've been up there and it's been crickets, uh, but I just kind of see that as a, as a challenge. I'm like, hey, if this is funny and I'm not communicating it right, maybe I should write it differently. Maybe I should say it differently. Maybe I should pause before I hit the punchline. Maybe this punchline just doesn't work. It's kind of, you know, there, and I have a lot of bits that I've tried, you know, out for months and they just don't work and you kind of let them go. And sometimes I come back to them, you know, six months later, I'll be going through a notebook and I'm like, oh, I like that joke. I really liked it. Maybe someone else will like it and I'll, you know, revisit it in that way. But yeah, it's scary. And I, and I've heard a lot of musicians, they're like, I don't know how you do it. It's just you and a microphone. I at least have my my music and for musicians are like, yeah, people come in and out, they walk up to the stage, they sit down, it doesn't bother us because that's part of our gig. But when you're a stand-up, like you feed off of the audience. So you have to tell a joke and get them to laugh. And there's kind of this like give and take that you have. And if you don't captivate them, then it, it's awkward for everybody, especially the person on stage who feels like they're standing there naked. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there's really no place for you to hide. And if you try to hide on stage, that probably just makes for an even more awkward moment and, and, and makes it that much worse. Uh, so the, the, the thing you said there about not taking everything personally, what's your secret there? Because I, you know, a passing stranger on the street, I walk by them and I start to wonder, did I make a good impression? Do they like me? And I've, I've you know, texted friends about some very minor interaction and they kind of tell me, that no one is still thinking about this interaction except for you. So, so I can only imagine that that would be amplified if I were trying to make or to win over a room of people that are uh, they're hearing me try to be funny. If even if they're not there specifically for me, they're 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 forced to listen mm-hmm. to me try to be funny. Um, so, so how much of a skill was that to kind of get over that moment um, and realize that you know sometimes people are out at, at the bar and maybe they are just kind of not in the mood for a comedy show, even though they they ended up there. Yeah, I uh, when I first started doing comedy, one, <clears throat> my dad uh, he told me he said, "Hey." He said, it's going to take you five to seven years to get good at comedy. And I was like, no, that's a that's a big commitment. Um, but I started seeing that after my first year, I started seeing the difference in the way I delivered things and the confidence I had on stage. And it really, every year you get better and better at all the minutia and all those little things that you think you're thinking about. And you're like, my friends are telling me, don't worry about when you're a comic, you need to be thinking about those things. You need to be thinking about where your hands are, how you're holding the mic, is the mic stand in your in front of you, between you and the audience, is the lighting on you. Like that's all stuff that we have to think about while we're also telling jokes. So uh, you might actually be a, a good fit for this. I'd also say anytime you have one of those little minutia interactions with somebody, write it down because that's where you're gonna find the humor in the, you, know, you look at Jerry Seinfeld, what does he talk about on stage? It's just like everyday stuff that, all, and that's what we relate to. He says it in a way that you're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But it all starts with these like little interactions that people have. Amanda, I really need you to stop building up my confidence like this because literally the last thing I need in my life is to get in front of a, uh, in front of a stage in front of people in public and try to make people laugh. I mean, I, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me. Uh, but, but, uh, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. I don't want to take, <laughs> take the stage away from Amanda G. That's, uh, and I apologize for as obnoxious as that sounds like I'm going to waltz in and um, steal <laughs> your shtick. Uh, you're like, okay. Uh, so uh, sorry, Dennis, uh, uh, Amanda just hung up. We, we have no more guests. I've offended her. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, that was a good show there. Yeah, yeah th- <laughs> thank you. No, you're 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 being uh, far too generous, Amanda G. And I've I've listened to um, a few of your podcasts and and uh, listened to some of your uh, YouTube clips. Um, and you have uh, such a such a diverse uh, uh, array of interests. So uh, when my producer uh, pitched you, he pitched you as um, a female comic. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk to uh, uh, someone who is funny for a living. That sounds great. But but I'd, I'd love to give you an opportunity to just kind of share what are some other passions and also kind of along with that, obviously the past year has probably been pretty difficult, especially in terms of live shows. So what have you been doing in the comedy realm for the past year? And, and kind of what, what, what's Amanda G looking like? And as we round the uh, corner of the first month of 2021. 
Wow, that's a loaded, loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we serve them at Dabble and Babble. <laughs> I, um, you know, COVID obviously changed everything in my life, but especially, you know, it changed comedy. Like I was hosting uh, a weekly show, two monthly shows. I was going to open mics. I was doing shows all over the place. I was traveling. I had plans to go to Little Rock, Arkansas. I had plans to go to Memphis. I had uh, plans. My girlfriend and I were actually, uh, we got into Fringe Fest in, I never say it right, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland. We were going to spend all oh of gosh. August in Scotland doing a, a two-woman show. Um, she does drag and sings and I do comedy and we were going to like kind of intertwine those things. So we had all these. Okay, I have to, I have to stop you there and ask. So, <laughs> so was this going to be the first time you had done a two woman show or, or have you, have you actually gotten that show off the ground before? Yeah, we actually uh, haven't even written it yet because it got right when we got in, it got the whole thing got postponed. So uh, we were just kind of too sad, too sad oh to gosh. write it, but this, I got this- the singing drag and the comic <laughs> that is certainly certainly writes headlines f- for you <laughs> i uh you'll have to let me know when you're when you're able to perform that I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing that come to fruition but sorry sorry to interrupt you i mean that that has got to be a, a huge gut punch to to have something so exciting uh not to just kind of twist the knife here but uh <laughs> wow let's let's relive why this last year has sucked for you uh, please please give continue uh uh this is interesting yeah um yeah that was I mean that was the biggest blow but it was just in general my life changed I used to I have a day job I'm actually a a lawyer at a nonprofit. we can delve into that um if we want to talk about serious stuff but I I don't talk about that on stage because I like I I go to work and then I leave work and then I want to be funny and I want to be around people who are funny and I want to you know have good vibes and kind of put the put the day away from from that but um you know, everything, COVID canceled everything. In live comedy, we can't do shows. All the shows in New Orleans, we don't have a comedy club here. They were actually just opening one right before COVID. Um, the timing of COVID for a lot of things was super impeccable. Um, yeah, of course. So we do shows at bars. New Orleans is, a, I mean, I don't know if you've been here, but we're a, a party city. Uh, all our bars are, like, I go to eat at a bar, not a restaurant. Like, that's just how the culture is here. So that's where we were doing mm-hmm. shows. And they were all closed for months. And then when they opened, a lot of them, you know, had limited seating, didn't have seating inside. Some of them are still closed. Some of them haven't come back. So it's where do you perform that's safe for everybody? Because I don't want to do a show and invite people to the show. And, and even, you know, there's a potential outbreak of COVID. I couldn't, I couldn't live like that's not the comedy is not worth that to me. And I wouldn't ask anybody to put themselves in that position. So it's kind of regrouping. Um, I'm sure you saw on my YouTube, uh, my girlfriend and I started making videos um, to post online. I, I made a video about um, keeping it kosher, about how to make latkes. Uh, we made a video called My Heart Will, uh, that My Quarantine Will Go On, which is a parody of My Heart Will Go On. You know, we were just trying to have fun with being stuck at home and, and people, you know, can relate to that. And then also, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but with COVID, you know, at first you're like, okay, I can do this. And you try to maintain a sense of normalcy. And then for me, I got to the point where I just, you know, this depression hits in of like, is this going to be life? How long is life going to be like this? And I don't accept this. I don't want this to be how my life is. So it's hard to be creative and to be funny in, in those moments. But then you try to be funny, you try to write, you try to perform, and you can get yourself out of that by 
by giving yourself hope through the comedy. And, you know, so it's kind of, you go through all the ups and downs of all the emotional stuff that COVID brings everybody. Um, and, you know, we're so close to the vaccine getting out everywhere and hopefully getting back to uh, more normalcy than we've had in a while and hopefully do some shows. I've done a couple of outdoor shows that were um, very carefully curated, socially distanced, masks required, super safe. Um, and, you know, it was just, every comic that got up all the first two minutes of our set, we just thanked the audience for being there. And then the right. audience after the show, everyone came up to us and said, thank you for giving us something to do. Um, and so it's like, now I think it's going to be different as in, you know, before I'd be at a bar and, you know, like you said, not everybody <laughs> wanted to see comedy or wanted to see me in particular, but now I feel like because we've, these things have been taken away from us, that there's going to be a new appreciation um, for any sort of art, not just comedy, but music or, you know, just art in general. Yeah, I, no, I, and I, I think you're totally right. And I um, can certainly feel just that kind of like building tension of, okay, there, there is so much hope with the vaccine and, and just a point blank, I have been wrong in all of my predictions uh, related to COVID. So uh, I'm an educator. So back in March, my students were asking me if uh, they, if I thought that we were going to go virtual and I was at a small liberal arts college, seven hundred students I said no we're so small we're not going to have to close down we don't have the same considerations that the big universities do the day after I had that conversation with my students we went virtual and so then I um, actually during uh, quarantine during COVID I moved across the country uh, so when I was interviewing for my current job, my students were asking me uh, what my plans would be if we had to do some sort of virtual learning environment. I said, by August, by the next school year, absolutely not. We're not going to be dealing with this. So I've just shut up about COVID because literally <laughs> could, cannot uh, make a stone's throw. But I do have to say, so so there is certainly that itch and that desire just to get back to some normalcy and not, and not have to think about it. Because I will say, so I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. So we do have, we're very blessed in that there there's obviously a lot of um, great outdoor places we can do go. I mean, the weather's nice in January. We can get outside. We can go sit in a park. Uh, every business is kind of set up to have outdoor uh, seating if it's a restaurant, but, but the outdoors are so incorporated that um, life hasn't totally had to shut down like it has in other places. So I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for that. But, but uh, along with that, there is something that's kind of nice about the COVID excuse where nobody can question you if you use COVID <laughs> as an excuse for something that you want to do. So when I first moved into my place, I needed a new uh, key for my mailbox went to the post office. They said, yeah, it's $30. Um, and we just have to have somebody change the lock on your mailbox. I said, great, no problem. And they said, but the only thing is we have no idea when they'll be able to do that because COVID. And I was thinking, you know, <laughs> you're still sending a mail carrier to my mailbox every day. So I'm not quite sure I understand the connection, but okay, here's my $30. I'll get my mail key when I get it. And then personally, it's like when I have a weekend where I just want to sit on my ass and do nothing, I, when people ask me what I did over the weekend, I can say, you know, nothing, but you know, with COVID, it's just, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? So, so what, is, is there anything like that, 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 um, COVID has brought into your life that you're like, you're kind of secretly indulging. I think there, it, it just allows you to do some really, uh, 
it allows you to indulge in your most toxic qualities and just use COVID <laughs> as an excuse. So I guess that's what I'm really asking. What are your most toxic qualities? Um, I mean, as far as COVID, I definitely, you know, come home and, and have a little more wine than I used to because oh my God, why, why not? Is that, why is that the response of everybody? I, it was it was the exact same for me. And I, I had a, a, a real moment where I was like, where did this even come from? Like, have I really just been suppressing this thirst for, for <laughs> however many years? Uh, so yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with, with the wine thing for you. Yeah, actually, when COVID first started, I didn't drink at all because I was like, this is, I was the same as you. I think we're both hopeful people. Like you were hopeful and like, we're not going to need to go virtual. This will all be back online by August. Like you're hopeful for that. So I was like, yeah, and like nothing's, you know, it's going to be like a month, two months, and then we'll just be back on track. It'll be fine. So I didn't really change anything up front. And then as the time went on, it's like, well, it, why am I not drinking it? I don't have anything to do. I have nowhere to go. I'm not driving anywhere. I don't have to worry about an Uber. I don't have to worry about losing my keys. Like I'm just here. Okay. So how often is losing your keys a thing? Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, can't remember. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 there, there you go. But the other great thing is all that money you're saving on Ubers gets to go to more bottles of wine. So it's really a perfect feedback loop <laughs> uh, is, is really what it comes down to. Uh, but, but no, I mean, and, and it, I, it is interesting to kind of see how people have coped with this. I will say I was really surprised when um, at first I didn't know if the keeping it kosher thing was going to be some like jokey slant on it, but I was like, Oh no, she's actually teaching me how to make <laughs> luck is right now. Uh, so what's kind of been, I, I guess, in dabbling in the YouTube uh, world more than you have, I guess, what's, what's, what's kind of surprised you about what you've done to feed that creative side? Uh, because I think obviously you're a naturally creative person, you need some outlet for that. So, so is there anything that you're kind of uh, more aware of that you think has, has helped you develop uh kind of forced to to be more creative with how you're being creative in COVID. Yeah, I think with especially with YouTube videos, I'm terrible at technology. I I don't know how to edit things. I don't know how sound works. I don't know how to focus a cat like I can't do any of that stuff. So I never really dabbled in any YouTube or any video. And then when that was the only option of like, hey, I have these ideas and these things and I can't just do stand up in a mirror and post that online. That's going to be weird. Like, let me do these other kinds of things. And I realized I can do oh it. Oh my God. But you doing stand up in a mirror would be so avant-garde. <laughs> like, I think, I think you just became such an avant-garde comic. <laughs> so I, I, you, you, I'm going to let you have that one. Cause again, me trying to do stand up, not going to steal that from you. I, <laughs> I, I, I want you, that's, that's a great idea, but, but uh, you know, the technology is hard. I, I, am such a curmudgeon um that like my my um older colleagues look to me to like integrate technology into things and it's like no 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 i'm here to take technology out of things like less technology and education if i never see another student with a computer that's fine pen and paper works perfectly why is technology so hard amanda I, look, I, I don't know, but I, I watched a lot of how to on YouTube from like 16 year old teenage boys that that teach me how to do things and they make it look so easy and I'm still like, I'm still stuck on it. So yeah, but I can do it. I mean, that's the thing. I made the videos, I edited them, I uploaded them to YouTube, I put posted the link for people to see like, I realized like, 
it's before I was like, oh, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. And then once that was the only option, I, I learned how to do it, you know, and I, and I did it. I mean, thank God for YouTube. There's so many things like that where there's literally a YouTube video for everything. When I was in grad school, out of stress one day, I bought a sewing machine. Uh, you know, not everybody's stress response, <laughs> but it was mine. And then it showed up and I was like, fuck, now I need to know how to use this sewing machine and enter YouTube. So just a shout out to a little uh, indie company, uh, tech startup, YouTube, they can always use more, <laughs> more publicity. Glad to shout out, shout out the little guy. Yeah. But if you're interested in seeing me do stand up in front of a mirror and I know I got one view, I, I might actually do it. <laughs> oh, I can guarantee that you've got at least one view and I will text it to at least three friends. If I had more friends, I would text it to more, <laughs> but you know, I don't want to burn the bridges that I have. We're going to, we're going to keep it nice and tight our own little, but it, you know, it's kind of more romantic that way, more artsy, just so, you know, it's only, only for the four of us that are seeing the, <laughs> the comedy, uh, the, the mirror stand up, whole new genre of comedy i mean people are listening to this just literally wanting to to bang their head against the wall listening to me try to be artsy and um avant-garde but you know what that's that's how we babble um so uh, not to shift gears too much still kind of in your comedy journey one thing that i am curious about because even just uh the intro that i read you are uh very um, open and very vocal and um, uh, well, I, I don't want to necessarily say very passionate about being a lesbian, but very obviously very <laughs> passionate about um, LGBT issues. Um, so when you were starting standup, um, was that always something that you felt comfortable bringing up or, or is that something that you kind of had to, to grow into um, as not only a female comic, but a gay female comic? Uh, what was, what was that like kind of processing how open you were going to be um, about that? Or was it, was that something that it was just never a question you were going to be authentically yourself on, on stage? I mean, what, what, what considerations did you have there? Well, when I first started, um, actually one of my very first jokes, which I told for probably far too long was uh, just a, the generic lesbian haircut joke. And every lesbian comics got a lesbian haircut joke, uh, which, I, which I learned later, but that was one of the first jokes I told where I got a, a pretty good laugh. And uh, you know, from then on, I realized like, hey, this is something I should explore. And I started telling, I think, you know, when you first start, the most important thing for me was to to write what's what's real to me mm -hmm. uh, in my my first set and I still have it recorded this was when uh, the Olympics the winter Olympics were happening in Sochi Russia I don't know mm -hmm. if you know you're old enough to remember that um, but Am I old enough to remember <laughs> goodness I we have had an Olympian on this show Amanda G. I am yes, all about the Olympics <laughs> I am all about the Olympics. Yes, yes, you really did. Listen, we I, got, did. I think you're our biggest fan. So, so, so add we'll add that to the to the intro. Biggest fan, Amanda. <laughs> you can, I uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I so my set was mostly about the 
the winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia, because they were such a mess. I don't know if you like, I remember all these, like Sochi wasn't ready to have that many people there and the accommodations were terrible and everyone, the media and all the uh, Olympians and anyone who was there uh, to, to be a part of it were just putting all these clips on, on YouTube and on the internet of just hilarious things. So I did a whole set about that and I had like this one lesbian joke. And while those jokes were okay, they were kind of more of like late night show jokes. And, and sure. you can't, they're, they're not timeless. You know, that you can't take them with, like after the Olympics were over, maybe a month after them, you can get some traction from that. And then otherwise, you know, three years later, you can't be talking about the winter Olympics that happened three years ago. People have moved on and so should your comedy. So, you know. You know, I, I, my philosophy is that Sochi Olympic jokes are evergreen. So uh, <laughs> if I'm, again, if I, I, I think I am giving you some great <laughs> professional advice today. So uh, mere stand up exclusively about the Sochi Olympics. Uh, and we'll get to costuming later. <laughs> we will, because I don't costume one bit. That's another thing I learned. So, you know, I, I will always be a lesbian. Like that is part of who I am. <laughs> Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very comfortable <laughs> and I'm very comfortable talking about it and that's something that won't change about me so um, you know delving into that I also I had a lot of opinions about things lesbian related and uh, the stage was a really good place to to do that um, but I also the more I do it and the more I've had people come up to me after shows and talk to me about their coming out stories I've had people talk to me who aren't out yet who you know more or less for like, you're so brave, I hate using the word brave, but like, you know, for getting up there and putting this out there, I could never do that. I can't even tell my parents that you realize it's important for people to, to see that voice and to see that you're able to get up on stage. And just in the media in general, the more LGBTQ uh, visibility that the community has, the more people that aren't exposed to that will see like, I'm a person just like you, uh, you know, and maybe we don't have to hate each other or, you know, have any sort of homophobia, transphobia, any of that stuff. So that didn't come right away. But like the more I performed and the more I interacted with audience members afterwards, I did realize it is important to have that voice. Yeah, no, I and and I think that is um, a really important uh, view on the topic. Um, but as you said, it's I mean, you you brought up there are people who are uh, not a, not even able to tell their best friend kind of a thing because they're grappling with it themselves so much. So it's not it's certainly not the easiest uh, thing that e recognizing the importance is one thing, but then also walking the walk uh, and and setting that example is is a whole whole other thing. Um, so I guess I would love to hear then. So I, I uh, did listen to uh, an episode of your podcast and um, was. Uh, really interested. Um, and I um, am remembering the name of your mutual friend, Alita, but I am completely mm -hmm. blanking on the, on the gallery owner that uh, was on. Um, Joan, Joan Cox. Joan Cox. Yes, absolutely. That's the episode that I listened to. Uh, so um, where, where was your inspiration for that uh, podcast and kind of how, how did you develop that podcast and what, what did you find was helpful to you? Uh, because kind of what you were saying of, uh, about the YouTube of even getting that one view, um, just reaching that one listener is so exciting about um, obviously uh, with, with this podcast, um, just kind of seeing the listens go up and seeing it build over time. We're still relatively new, of course, um, but getting to talk 
to um, interesting people such as yourself and the interesting guests that we've had on is is one thing, uh, but but there is something that's so rewarding about getting those views. So so with um, kind of your YouTube, with your podcast, in, and even with your comedy too, uh, you know, what has been your strategy to to market yourself? Uh, and again, you've got you've got different angles. The podcast uh, is at least the one episode I listened to was certainly not you just kind of uh, doing stand up comedy in a mirror. Um, so so is is it just kind of your is your approach to just kind of this sounds interesting. Let's do it. Let's see if we get a view or, or have you become more tailored in your approach and, and kind of what's your, what's your strategy to really build your brand? Well, as far as the podcast, the way it got started is I host a monthly storytelling, queer storytelling show in new Orleans called greetings from queer mountain. And um, that's a, so once a month we have six storytellers get up there and they tell a story and I host it. So I get to kind of rip off of their stories and, you know, uh, do my own host set. So every month I, I would do like a, a brand new set essentially uh, for this audience. And then what I realized is we had these amazing storytellers and they only got six to eight minutes to tell these stories. And there's so much more behind the story behind who they are and how can we get that on stage? Well, we can't just have like, you know, a one person show every month with each storyteller. So I thought, Hey, a podcast is a, a really good opportunity to, to showcase that and to do that. Um, and to really, you know, get queer stories and queer lives out there and have this, you know, once again, the, this queer visibility. So, you know, it kind of started that way. Um, you know, I think it's, it's grown a lot. Um, part of, marketing with that. And it sounds like, you know, with your podcast as well is you have different guests from different cities, from different countries, from different walks of life. And, you know, every guest will bring their own audience, you know, to your show. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll interact with, with other episodes and then just being out there. I mean, we're, you know, very social, um, COVID did not take away podcasts from us. That's the, it's the that one is, thing we've that is so true. Yes we've been able to, to keep alive. Um, and I think more people are listening to podcasts now. So I think it is a, a good opportunity, uh, but you want to have a, a message and you want to, you know, say something in the podcast. So, you know, with that one, we always, and with Joan Cox, you know, we talked a lot about uh, her coming out story, but everyone on the podcast talks about their coming out story. Um, if they perform, how, uh, their queerness is, is expressed in their art. And, you know, Joan Cox only, basically only paints lesbian couples uh, at this point. And she went through where she was painting different things and it didn't feel right. And that's because she wasn't, you know, she wasn't out and she wasn't in the right partnership. And, you know, you see how like the personal life affects the art and it's a really cool thing to have people just share and be so vulnerable, you know, on the podcast. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, every episode is good. I, I think that's probably a, a biased opinion, but it's, it's every guest is just burying their soul. And, you know, I think it's really, it's really cool. And I think, like I said, they bring their own audience. We have our own audience that we've built up over time and, you know, hopefully it gets out there, but you know, what I've been told with podcasts, because when you first start most podcasters, how do I get more audience? How do I, the way you do it is you don't worry about it. You make a good product. Exactly. Um, same with stand-up, you know, you make a good product and people will want to hear more from that. And that's, you know, there's no secret to that. You just do it. <laughs> well, right. And, and no, I, and I think you're so right. And, uh, it, it, you know, you, you see it with um, kind of really 
any um, performance-based sector. It's kind of all about how do I grow? How do I grow? How do I get the views? And that's where, um, you know, you kind of, if you are always responding to, to just clicks and likes and all of that, you really lose your sense of identity and then you're losing what uh, people respond to. So even if you were able to cultivate a following somehow that way, then what's the point um, at that point? So it's, it's refreshing to hear you talk about just kind of how, uh, how consistent everything is from your comedy to your podcast um, to uh, this storytelling event that, that you host, that everything is, um, you know, has the the common thread and, and is somewhat focused, but it's all just authentically you. Um, and it's, it's just so nice to, you know, kind of hear that, you know, when it works, it's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work and we're going to, we're going to figure it out. But that's, I mean, that's any comic that, that is resonant is someone that's not afraid to, to be honest, to, to be authentically themselves um, and just kind of, kind of allow that, uh, that that wall to come down so uh it's been such a great uh thrill to have you on this week um and so we are kind of uh running short on time so i just want to give you an opportunity to bring up anything that um you know you were hoping that i would ask about or just um to plug where people can uh find you to find your comedy find your podcast that sort of thing yeah, sure. And thank you so much for having me. This is the time has flown by. This has been it really has really fun. And I hope the post office actually gave you that key because I've been thinking about that. They did. They did. Yeah. I mean, it was about <laughs> 20 days, but yeah, it was like the craziest thing. I mean, uh, of all the frustrations, not to to make this uh, time to plug yourself about my <laughs> mailbox key of all things. But it was like, I, it, this was the first house that I had bought, you know, and then it's like, okay, I don't even have a key to my mailbox. And then they're telling me that the pandemic is now preventing me from getting my mail it's like okay when does this stop when does this yeah stop? but, but anyway, didn't, yes I it, do have I, I get my mail so so so, so we're okay. good that, I, I've been wondering that this whole time I was like they just sorry, took your 30 bucks like. sorry to keep you on edge I know it's a it was a real nail biter I gave you there <laughs> um yeah but I'm glad that all worked out I uh, I'm on social media Instagram Facebook YouTube Twitter. It's all Amanda G. Thang and it's T-H-A-N-G. So all A's. Uh, Amanda G. Thang on all those. Near and Queer to My Hearts, the podcast. We're on every podcast platform, uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. All right. Well, again, Amanda, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and you are near and queer to my heart. Oh, thank you. I'm <laughs> waiting all episode to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you finally got it out of here. <laughs> thank you so much for having me.